Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I am excited to share with you this next episode, episode nine um, from 2023's uh, series from the Voices of the Expressive Therapy Summit, where I interview different therapists and uh, professionals that are presenting, speaking, and facilitating workshops at the Expressive Therapies Summit events. If you've never been to an Expressive Therapies Summit, what you can expect is highly experiential um, participatory learning where you're getting a deep dive into the creative process while you're learning um, how these methods and interventions can be used and benefit uh, the work that you're doing with clients. Um, I often feel like it is one of those opportunities where you are giving to yourself in as much as you are learning um, to be able to facilitate these processes with others. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Scott, and she has been working in the field for multiple decades, and um, she's a registered expressive arts therapist as well, as well as a registered board-certified art therapist, and her focus has been um, working using the arts with individuals that have experienced various levels of complex uh, trauma. And she specializes in working with dissociation. And her presentation is going to be part of the dissociation track that uh, the summit is offering at the virtual event this November, where there's a number of different presentations that are focusing on that topic. So if that's an area that you want to further explore and develop, um, it might be a great opportunity to learn from people who have been uh, practicing for their career uh, doing this work. Um, Erica shares some really cool interventions that she's been um, using for a really long time with her clients. And I think if you are someone that works with uh, individuals who've experienced trauma, this would be a great uh, training to participate in. Um, it's going to be on November 3rd from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it's an entire day. And she is going to include some didactic information, but it's primarily going to be experiential where you're going to be engaging in the creative process uh, as part of the learning experience. So if you want to learn more about her presentation or any of the other presentations that the summit is providing, please check out www.expressivetherapysummit.com. There you'll find a whole host of different events that are being offered throughout the year that you can learn from really, really talented um, and accomplished therapists that have been 
uh, developing their particular approach for a really long time. I highly recommend checking it out if you've never participated before. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Erica Scott. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to The Creative Psychotherapist. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am delighted to welcome my next guest, Erica Scott, a PhD and licensed professional clinical counselor, board certified registered art therapist, and registered expressive arts therapist. She is an authentic, dedicated, and passionate Uh, licensed and certified creative arts psychotherapist, artist, author, and advocate for disempowered populations. For 39 years, she has worked with those who struggle with substance abuse and behavioral use disorders, victims of trauma, complex trauma, torture, dissociation, and victims of sex trafficking. Her commitment to health, wellness, and art as a medicine includes experiential teaching, professional clinicians, medical doctors, the public, and for her own personal health journey. Her investment in social change via the arts across the world travels, um, across the world includes travel, presentations, collaboration, and culture exchange in four continents. Her worldwide workshops bring hope and healing to diverse populations. Thank you so much for being here, Erica. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you about your work. Um, You have a breadth of experience of working with very heavy therapeutic content. How have the arts played a role in helping you to have such an enduring career? That's probably one of the best questions any interviewer has ever asked me because it's critical to my longevity. I, I love art. I love outsider art. I was a professional Mm -hmm. artist before I became an art therapist. And I believe this sounds maybe corny and hopefully not reductionistic, but I truly believe that the art clients make in session, heal them and me Mm. there's something about looking at productions made in session that i find no matter like no matter what the content 
I find it energizing and uplifting Mm -hmm. and they can paint the most horrific stories, but I know that it means they're getting better, that they will get better, that they are healing, they're in the process. But there's also the energetic aspect of color. There's the joy of spontaneity. There's the relief of just literally almost vomiting your emotions on the page, right? With yeah. Paint. And I, I just, I, I feel blessed. I call crayons and paintbrushes my magic wand mm. because there now the research is beginning to support what I've been saying for 48 years that art heals there's no question about it and I believe more than just having an art therapist on staff we need to create programs where art is embedded in every aspect of the program I I agree wholeheartedly and while one or two hours a week helps it's nothing like having a totally immersed program. So for example, at Sierra Tucson, when I was the trauma therapist for a dual diagnosis program, and you can imagine the trauma that was coming to a residential program, right? Absolutely. And so I had every single person in the group did a life-size silhouette with their whole addiction, trauma, surgeries, you name it, physical health, everything on their body map. It was the visual life story. And I had everyone do a timeline. So those things are sort of stereotypical. Mm -hmm. And then everyone in my group also did a sand tray because I had uh, figurines in my office. And then often they would do other art assignments and I had them uh, hang up on the wall, all of that, genograms, you name it, everything. And then tell their life story from beginning to end. And, wow. and the life story was told a little bit from a postmodern, except for very much immersed in the trauma, about what a survivor hero story they have. They, that they have survived all of this. And then they could see it. The group could see it. I could see it. it the and the visual cues so i'm very visual as you can imagine i'm more kinesthetic ironically than visual but i of course i'm very visual and so seeing all of their art on the wall gave me cues for open-ended questions to ask about where they might be stuck or in denial or minimizing or justifying you know all of that oh sure so um and magic happened one time a woman did and i have a release to talk about this story uh she did her body map and included trauma but the irony is that it looked like a golden tara a gold like a the eastern asian goddess so her mother made her wear funny hats so she had this gold peaked hat like tara wears she had a trauma where she had a big bruise or lump here in her childhood. Well, it looked like a bendy. 
Okay. So it's like on the center of her forehead. Right. You've seen the little red dot Mm -hmm. that, right. So it wasn't quite exact, but there it was. And then she had scoliosis. So her back was curved and she drew her hands in a way, excuse me, that it looked like a mudra, like hand gestures. Um, Wow. Right. So she had that kind of, you've seen probably sculptures of goddesses or paintings Mm -hmm. of goddesses where they kind of look slightly twisted their back and then they're holding their hands in the sacred symbols. Excuse me. I'm going to call for a second. And so I said that I said, isn't this interesting as a total reframe or transformation? It, you look like a golden tar and I explained what I just explained to you. Mm-hmm. Another person in the group had a full Kundalini experience right there. Wow. They almost leapt out of their chair and they went, Whoop, what happened? What happened? I said, I don't know what happened. Tell me. And they said, <laughs> it's like a energy hit the base of my spine and shot out the top of my head. And I said, well, that's an awakening of the Kundalini. Wow fascinating i think art opens that gateway to something more than just therapy or psychology or Mm -hmm. i think it opens the gateway to other realms of consciousness and spirituality yes and the core self in the way that i don't know i think some somatic experiencing can get there but i I've not seen any other treatment modality take people there. And often it's a surprise for them. That's not where they think they're going. I, that's the funnest part, I think, about working with adults, particularly like that population, dual diagnosis mm-hmm. population, folks in substance abuse treatment that mm-hmm. um, oftentimes are kind of hesitant to like about this idea, like what, I'm not a kindergartner. What do you, what do you mean? You want me to? And then they have, they have that like full 360 degree thing. Like, wow, I can't believe how, how much I got from that hour that just the, the small experience that can be so transformative. And if we did what you're talking about, which is to say, have that immersed throughout and embedded in all aspects of treatment, what could possibly happen because of the way the art is a symbolic language, our unconscious is makes sense through symbols. It's not logic. Um, right. So it really does have that interconnectedness Mm -hmm. and power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Andy Stropko approached me. He was our, uh, lead psychologist at the time. And he was, uh, doing the pre-test post-test for the groups. And he approached me and he said, I want to show you what's the results. And he turned page after page after page after people with, I mean, highly suicidal and depressed and anxious and, and they were leaving happy. Mm. Which is like what they're there for, right? They're there to 
reconnect with right. that love, joy, and sense right. of being human um, that that we're all here to experience. And it's the art to take people from that level of distress and 30 days later, they leave grounded, not a superficial mm -hmm. happy, mm -hmm. a centered happy uh, of knowing who they are and accepting all aspects of who they are. Mm. And he said, this is like, I've never seen results like this. And I said, it's the art, it's the art. It's yeah. amazing. Right. Yeah. I think as we, as we learn more about our brain and uh, what our brain needs to thrive, you know, earlier before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about um, neuro stuff and, you know, you were, you were talking about um, neuroplasticity. And I think that there is a direct relationship between art making and neuroplasticity, um, and part of it, I think, is because it is a novel experience every time we engage with the materials. It's a yeah. new, fresh experience, even for a seasoned artist who's been creating for years mm -hmm. and years and years and is very knowledgeable. Every time we engage, it's it's a new delight. It's fresh. It's a there's something a surprise. Yeah. 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 That's brilliant because what generates new neurons is art novelty and beauty mm. and that's ernest rossi after he had a stroke he was talking about covering from his stroke uh and ernest rossi uh was a protege of milton erickson and a expert in trauma in his own right and so you're right so when you talk about novelty that is one so art itself is healing and then no, the aspect of no, novelty of making your own art mm -hmm. and then even in my opinion ugly art therapy is beautiful so there's right. a beauty <laughs> the, witnessing, the witnessing the witnessing of it yeah which All is so important yeah. yeah yeah so it's fun i i have always believed in art because i was considered to be retarded as a child and I nearly, I nearly failed fourth grade twice, not just once, twice. And I overheard my art teacher. I mean, she wasn't my art teacher. She was my fourth grade teacher. But she turned to my mother and said, almost in an offhanded manner, you know, she really likes art. Why don't you get her an art teacher? So my mother hired a beatnik who I just loved. And he taught me how to paint. And by the end of fifth grade, I was reading college level. Wow. So I, I have never doubted the power of art. And I always made that connection, even though I was just a little kid. Mm -hmm. I knew art had something to do with it. That's wild. That's that in incredible. Yeah. I think... It's interesting, you know, we have a sense of knowing when we're children, when we're small children, we like come in, I think, um, as we get older, you know, we're so used to dismissing, dismissing children's insights as um, un unknowing, but really, I think kids have a greater sense of knowing the truth than those of us who've been 
here living for longer time. We might have some wisdom about what it means to live here, but kids have a different sense of knowing of like what to do. Even like we think about how they engage in play, right? They like know what to do to take care of themselves naturally. If you allow them to, right? We don't have to intervene. And they haven't been traumatized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that brings me to earlier, you had said something about when the folks left the program uh, that you were working in, that they had a connection with and an acceptance of all of their distinct parts. Yeah. And I know that you're going to be presenting at the upcoming Expressive Therapy Summit um, in November, November 3rd, it's virtual. And part of that, I think, feeds into the topic that you're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe the session that you're teaching is called Mapping Inner Worlds Dynamically, Mobiles for Insight and Dissociative System Management. And I would love if we could spend (laughs) some time talking about that because there's a clear connection, you know, with all the parts. And um, can you share a little bit about what that is, what that looks like? How did Mm -hmm. you come to integrate mobiles, which I think is such a brilliant I, you you know, metaphor for, Mm -hmm. for it. Um, But I would love to hear from you. Thank you. So I began working with dissociative identity disorder in 1987 in Dallas. And uh, God or spirit or energy or luck gave me the most gentle, easy client to start with. (laughs) I was so blessed. And I, nobody at that time really, we, we really didn't know exactly what we were doing, but following the inner child work, it was the next step. So we did have through Pia Melody's work and Terry Kellogg's work and John Bradshaw's work, we did have a step on the path. Um, So I began using all kinds of mapping with DID, including the life-size body maps. So that's the one way I use the life-size body maps that most people don't use it that way. I ask people to paint their parts on their map, Mm. where they think they are, where, what they, their jobs, their likes their dislikes, their energy, their size, because uh, often it's hard for child parts to get that the adult is an adult. It's very helpful for the child parts to understand that the adult is big and can protect them. Mm -hmm. And and talk therapy doesn't really break through that denial. So I was already doing that. And uh, it was the late 80s by the time I came up with the mobile idea. And it had to do with balance and the movement, 
like how the parts move (laughs) and different sizes, different shapes and right. And different, uh, the executive control switch from the parts that lurk or hide inside lurk might not be the best word. Sometimes it's the right word. Um, and how the executive control can change in a minute. So, uh, the first time I did it, um, I think I was working with about 20 clients and I brought all the supplies. I asked them to bring supplies. It was so much fun. Some of the mobiles, like one guy used a clothesline and you know how normally a mobile just is one line or wire hanging down with an object like calder like Mm-hmm. Well, he had several wires coming down from his clothesline. So it's really pretty, pretty. So mm-hmm. we went wild with it. Um, one of the most beautiful mobiles I've ever seen was um, at Charter Hospital. I don't know if you remember Charter. Oh, I yes, to, I do remember them. Right. So I used to share an office with Colin Ross in Dallas. And so I was doing some groups on that unit for dissociative identity disorder. And this one woman made these beautiful, delicate origami type boxes that opened and closed and had insides and outsides and windows and flaps where you could peek in or not. It was it was so intricate and lovely and tender and respectful. So I, what I have noticed, and I know you've seen this too, is that there's something about three, three dimensions that I don't care if it's mass making, sculpting, mobiles, it deepens the process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can't tell you why exactly, but uh, research will show us eventually why I trust my observations, and I'll go with that for now. Uh, for example, a student of mine uh, wanted to do a mask of her self-hate, and she'd been in recovery for 10 years, and it was a group of therapists, and I trusted her. Mm-hmm. not to be triggered by it to or to manage her triggers if she was triggered by it and she did the most monster like mask I've ever seen and I'm used to looking at heavy dark work right mm-hmm. she had a knife sticking in her head she had a noose around her neck she had bulging eyes it was like really hard to look at and I had just asked people to gather in a group and I was the last one to join and she was sitting on the floor and I'll never forget she was rocking her mask like it was a baby. I have like just a rolling goosebumps going down my body just hearing that and visualizing that and understanding the depth of transformative energy that it was present for her in that moment amazing i'm having a hard time speaking it moved me still to this day and she looked up at me and i 
I smiled at her and I said, it looks like you're rocking your mask. And she beamed this 10,000 watt smile and said, my power was locked in myself. Hey. Wow. Incredible. So there are times we need to take risk. And this is the thing, though, you have to be able to bring someone back. <laughs> mm -hmm. So sometimes I see people take risks with their clients. And it's not okay, in a way, because they don't know what to do if the client starts to have a psychotic break or starts to dissociate in a real uh, profound way. And so I do take risks but I also can bring people back. And so I wouldn't take those risks if I didn't know I could bring them back. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I, I understand that there's a lot of concern about don't trigger, don't, don't trigger the trauma vortex. But I think that's sometimes people that are afraid of intense emotions. Because right. there are so many times that people learn from being triggered in a therapy session and then having a context frame for them immediately. Mm -hmm. It reduces shame. It helps them grasp the depth of their trauma. Mm -hmm. It helps them feel empowered. Because if you don't really get the depth of your trauma, you feel weak. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, well, um, it's not really a trauma because it somehow it's my responsibility, right? There's yeah. that piece that sometimes can be present for people until they can connect with that, um, that pain. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh. So as heavy as this is, it's fun because <laughs> one starfish at a time, we're, <laughs> we're returning them to the ocean mm -hmm. and where they can thrive and be joyous and free. And that is the goal of all of this work. And mobiles are fun. That's part of it too. While we're dealing with such heavy issues, you can't help but not all of us had mobiles in childhood, but we know what they are. Mm -hmm. We know mobiles are hung over a baby's bed. And so I, I think there's an element of that that enters into the process of it's a joyous, colorful, moving uh, experience. And, and why not have that as part of the process while dealing with something that's so heavy? Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of like words that I would associate with the mobile, which is like childlike or, or childhood mm -hmm. and whimsical mm -hmm. and, um, and fun and playful. Mm -hmm. And so there's that fusion mm -hmm. of, okay, yes, we're, we're talking about something or we're not necessarily talking, but we're through the language of art. Yes, we are talking about it. 
We're talking with image, color, line, shape, movement, volume. And yes. And it's also a paradox. It's holding the dark and the light at the same time. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, fosters more healing than positive thinking. So there is very important to have positive thinking, gratitude list, especially in this day. I have to do them myself because these are not easy times for a lot of people. Yep. But the real, real power where the, forgive me for being uh, an old expression, like when the rubber meets the road, where, where mm -hmm. you really get traction for healing is holding that paradox. It's Robert Fritz calls it structural tension. Mm -hmm. And so the playfulness and the heaviness together is a really good paradox. I, I agree. It's an, it's, it's an inter, it's a way of being able to integrate that mm -hmm. we can hold both things at the same time. We mm -hmm. can be both that mm -hmm. it gets us out of that all or nothing trap yeah. um, that so many of us uh, find ourselves yeah. in, which is had the brain's wiring, right? That there's a reason why we struggle with that. It's so true. Um, I think the Melody called it joy pain. Mm. Always yeah. like that. I haven't, I have not heard that phrasing before, but yeah. yeah. Joy pain. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much. And I hope to see you again. I really enjoyed your presence and your company and you're so articulate. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And um, I hope that people might be excited from this mm -hmm. conversation to mm -hmm. take the training with you at the summit. It's going to be an entire day yeah. on the third, 12 to mm -hmm. 7 PM. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what folks might learn besides exploring the, um, mm -hmm. the sculptures in that session? Right. So you just helped me remember that I need to make a PowerPoint. <laughs> um, thank you. So I, I need to do the same. <laughs> yeah. So I believe we all have parts. So many theories of counseling have included ego states or parts of self or subpersonalities, whatever you want to call them, from a adult parent child to um id ego super ego like they're they're all these different ways of looking at the multifaceted humanness that we have i i like i like to think of it like a diamond or uh sometimes i've likened it to a a, 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 a honeycomb with mm. different little compartments so but we all have that and whether or not a, someone is dissociative identity disorder, this mobile process would still be in, possibly insightful. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably do like a, a light overview of dissociation, how it shows up. Um, I have several lectures on that, of course, already. We'll start with that, but I also want to talk about 
clues or signs or symptoms of dissociation because I was taught by Renee Fredrickson in the 80s to read body language, mm -hmm. you know, so how people carry shame in their bodies, you know, how um, I think neurolinguistic programming does some good work around this, but mm -hmm. not necessarily specific to dissociation. Um, how eyes can flutter or blink a lot when there's dissociation or roll even like mm -hmm. you need have a spiegel type eye roll um one time i made a mistake i was I had been asked to visit a colleague's group and discuss dissociation and i i role played what some perpetrators do is they're switching before they offend and the whole group like was laid out <laughs> apparently it was so accurate they were like oh my god so i won't be doing that um but <laughs> the the sometimes there's like a, a chin nod like a, a ducking of the chin and then a coming up as a, a switch to another mm -hmm. part of self um i see it also in the way people speak um i've heard even politicians use words that are made up words that are really like a two or three-year-old's way of speaking mm. um so it's not in it, it that vernacular or, or the words have confused people and yet if you listen very carefully they're they're childlike words they're made mm -hmm. up children's words and so that also is a clue of earlier trauma but also dissociation and regression mm -hmm. So um, it shows up in the artwork, especially art therapists, like people. So we all, if we don't have an art background, we can all paint in a childlike way, third grade or so, yeah. right? But then there are times when the artwork is really childlike in, the, in a way that's not just lack of art background. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to those things. So I'll be educating about how to identify dissociation. What's important, especially for the dual diagnosis substance use disorder residential programs, is that in the 90s, there was a multi-site uh, research, residential programs, four different programs, and 14 to 39% tested as having the full diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder. Wow. So when we are missing it in treatment, especially rehab, but any treatment, yeah. it's a disaster because they're not getting what they need. And in my opinion, all the parts need to show up as much as possible to yes. prevent relapse. Because oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I had sent a DID client to uh, residential rehab in the early 90s. And she came back and Googled and said, you know, my addict never went to one group. Oh my gosh. That's the one that needed to go. Uh -huh. not, they all needed to go, but, but right. <laughs> and then sometimes I think parts need some codependency training, like black belt codependency training. So, mm -hmm. um, so the, 
the arts help us have a gateway into gently addressing the issues of dissociation mm -hmm. because addressing it helps the overall success of treatment. I can't tell you how many clients I've been sent because they weren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. They weren't making progress yeah. uh, without it being identified. So we'll be talking about things like that, why it's important, how to incorporate it, uh, where to start a little bit. But so there'll be at least one hour of lecture, probably not more than that. And then um, some just discussion about like today, what we talked about, yeah. like how it showed up in my practice and and why I'm still doing it. And I'm delighted I haven't done this in a while. So I'm delighted I have this old idea that I'm dusting off and polishing up and bringing back to the world. And uh, so I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, no, it sounds wonderful. And um, like you said, even though, yes, you're going to be talking about dissociation, it certainly seems like there's many other opportunities to um, generalize that concept of the mobile into different aspects of therapy work. Okay. Um, yeah, well, next and one last comment. I'm sorry, I because oh, yes. I think this is important. As you know, people who dissociate tend to have a sense of floating or um, flying. Like, yeah. So the mobile addresses that too, if you think about it. And so I think that is a wonderful mirroring of the experience of dissociation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was yeah. my last comment. No, that is, that is. That is interesting. And, um, and you're right. It made me think of somebody like client from my past who oh, wow. had, you know, had brought that up and, um, didn't have any recognition, you know, mm -hmm. didn't, had no idea. And we, that was like the work was talking right. about what was happening for them and when it happened, like what, when were the moments that that happened and, um, wow. how that was a form of protection, but yeah. Well, flight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be November 3rd, 2023 all day. And people can find more information about your session and any other sessions at the expressive therapy summit website, which is expressive therapy summit.com. You'll click on virtual summit and then you'll go there and click on program and you should be able to find Erica's um, session there and all the others. But for folks that maybe want to learn a little bit more about you or participate in some of the offerings that you provide, I know that you, um, you do kind of your own intensive workshops mm -hmm. and other speaking engagements too. Where can they find that yeah. information? Uh, at Thank Erica. You. Thank, well, first of all, people can call me. So 310-880-9761. 310-880-9761. 
and my office is full of thousands of figurines, a sand tray, a huge art table, and I have my butcher block paper mounted against the ceiling so people can stand up and do their life-size silhouettes or whatever they want to do, standing up, painting against the wall. It's less vulnerable feeling. It's mm. wonderful. My, my, I just had like a, a brain explosion moment thinking about that. That's such a brilliant idea. Um, hanging it up high like that. I've done them yeah. and, you know, we like rip them and then tape them up on the wall, but it's, right. all, it's always like a challenge, but yeah. to have it permanently mounted there, that's brilliant. It's really fun. And uh, so there it's, I call it my incubator. It's my incubator office with the art table. And I, I provide acrylics, not just temper paints. I think people deserve to have good quality paint and <laughs> it's a different experience right it is different and mm -hmm. and it makes it it makes it a more positive successful feeling experience to the client I think so so we even do body maps with acrylic paint wow mm -hmm. so it's awesome. fun and we do abstract paintings drumming uh I mean really I just listen to what the client needs and then we co-create what to do. And sometimes we go out in nature and make uh, art with nature. That's always fun. Yes. At the beach, it's really nice. So um, it's the, the minimum commitment is two half days because I believe there needs to be a day to kind of assimilate the mm -hmm. first day and or to germinate and then really then the second day is quite powerful too. So, yeah. Sounds awesome. Okay. And so my website is artspeaksoutloud.org, O-R-G. So it's A-R-T-S-P-E-A-K-S-L-O-U-D. Did I get that right? I think I forgot out. You missed um, out, but. I did miss out. <laughs> but that's okay. So it's just yeah. the word arts speaks out loud.org and we'll put That's it in the right. show notes too thank you thank you thank you so much thank you so much i really appreciate you making the time to talk to me today i'm delighted thank you thanks so much for listening to this episode of the creative psychotherapist podcast i really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with erica scott um Again, she brings a wealth of knowledge to the work, and I learned so much just in the short time that I was talking with her on the show, and I am confident that she's going to deliver a really wonderful learning experience for participants uh, that attend her workshop, and you can learn more about her offering and register to sign up and learn all about all of the other presentations that are happening at the summit by heading over to www.expressivetherapysummit.com and click on the virtual uh, virtual summit tab. And then you'll be able to click on the um, East Coast Summit, which will be taking place throughout the month of November in 2023. I'll be presenting as well. I'll be presenting on um, 
on private practice and uh, money and marketing as it relates to private practice. Um, and there's so many other incredible presenters that are going to be training uh, this year as well. So check that out. And if you enjoyed listening to the show and um, and want to help us become more accessible to other creative arts therapists in the field, around the world, please do like, rate, subscribe to the show. Uh, that will help us become uh, more easily found when people are searching for these types of topics. Uh, and I really appreciate your support in that. All right, creatives, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.